Hi, I'm Andrew Tobias. And I'm Stephen Goldmeyer. The internet's a weird place. We're going to show you. Hold on to your butt. Hey. Hey. Hey, we're, um, we're doing this. We sure are. I'm what is, what is got, this? This is our podcast. Oh. It's called Hold On To Your Butts. Yeah. Uh, like the movie, J- Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Steven Goldmeyer. And I'm Andrew Tobias. And we're here to talk about internet weirdness. Yeah. And this, this, is a, this is a good week. There's been a lot of really uh, great stuff on the topics that we're talking about this week. The internet's been laying it on real thick with the bullshit this week. Yeah, exactly. And In this lately. episode... Yes, just in general lately. So this episode's going to be chock full of bullshit. Uh, first, uh, uh, positive life-affirming clickbait in the form of upworthy headlines. Uh, and some of those end up being bullshit, too, and why we sort of buy into that bullshit. And then next, people live-tweeting very personal, intimate moments. And a lot of those are bullshit, too. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be fun to wade through pools of bullshit. That doesn't actually... Doesn't sound fun, right? Not when you say it out loud. But uh, <laughs> just, just let, let's just see where this goes. All right. <laughs> and we're back. We are back, and we're ready to talk about Upworthy and garbagey, life-affirming clickbait. Yeah, and I, I think it's a uh, kind of the latest thing in the sort of uh, crap that's uh, floating around the internet as people are trying to engineer viral stuff. Uh, it used right. to be 50 signs that you're from, you know, your house. And <laughs> then, you know... 50 the, signs that you sleep in your bedroom. <laughs> right. And that sort of descended from, like, what, you know, one weird trick. and yeah, So there's just all of that stuff. And uh, it seems right. lately so, that they're trying to sort of um, take a different format. Go ahead. You had something to say. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right that this started as the general way people try to uh, uh, churn out and then monetize internet content that's very relatable and very easy to like. Um, But, you know, so some genius realized taking together 25 photos that are going to make you cry because they're beautiful photos, why don't we just take one YouTube video, give it a similarly, you know, garbage clickbait headline, uh, you know, uh, watch this one woman stand up for whatever and change the world or something, Mm -hmm. and that will get just as many people interested, and we get to do a lot less work, and we also get to feel good about ourselves because our clickbait is changing the world. And and what did that guy say? It's like uh, pulling the levers in your pleasure centers or something like that. I mean, that's that's what they're doing. It's it's very, uh, it's very primal. It is. It's it's uh, manipulative and primal. And the problem is, you know, I think that uh, saying manipulative makes it sound like these content aggregators. Well, let's explain what Upworthy is first. Yeah. So Upworthy is a website that sort of collects a lot of this life-affirming, uh, these videos and these photos and things, and then presents them with a clickbait headline, with one of these headlines like, you know, in five minutes, this man uh, stands up to, you know, the, the bosses at the mortgage banks or whatever. Right. And then it ends up being like a guy on a street corner who's ranting about banks for five minutes. Um, you know, and so Upworthy aggregates all of these this content from other places, which there's nothing wrong with content aggregators, but they're they're aggregating only these sort of positive life affirming things. Yeah, I'm looking at the content aggregators right now. Yeah. And uh 
I don't like what I see. Yeah, it's tough, you know, because on the one hand, I don't want to wade through a whole bunch of stuff and find the best stuff. But on the other hand, Upworthy is an aggregator with an agenda. You know, that their agenda is they want to sort of make you cry with every post. Watch this boy uh, solve racism. Yeah, exactly. In song. Exactly. <laughs> and so I can't blame Upworthy for wanting to find positive things and say, if you, you know, we pa- we pass along so much garbage, uh, why don't we pass along something positive for a change? So their instinct is, is, is good. Their instinct is good and it's in, their heart is in the right place. Uh, but, it, you know, it, their instinct to share positive life-affirming stuff is the same instinct we have to want to see that positive life-affirming stuff, and it's not necessarily that helpful in the end. Yeah, um, and so it, so it really becomes problematic when it starts being things that are sort of, you know, cut some corners in the truthfulness areas. Um, so I don't know if you, d- you actually ever saw this. There was a... Uh, it shot out like a bottle rocket throughout the internet. Um, even though it's, it's been doing this, I guess, for every few years, but somebody in Upworthy found it, where somebody recorded the uh, sounds of crickets chirping or rubbing right. their, what, it's not like their legs, but it's their bumpy parts, wherever they are. Their um, bumpy Their, their wings. I think it's on their wings. <laughs> so they, Wait, let's try and keep this uh, not X-rated and not talk about crickets' bumpy parts, please. <laughs> um, it's, it's very natural and, you know... Uh, Everybody does it. Right. Every cricket does it. When a cricket and a cricket love each other, very much they touch uh, their bumpy parts and then <laughs> this noise comes out right so anyway <laughs> uh and, and somebody slowed that down and uh recorded it and and then they played this uh, so well so what it actually if you, right. if you if you slow it's, it down it sounds like a human voice sort of it's I guess. billed as being yeah like a chorus like a, right. a beautiful and chorus so, of sounds and so, so what some guy did was actually like you know modulated the pitches of the cricket sounds and it made these harmonies and you know music and stuff like that and then this video presented like this is what it sounds like if it's really slow and people are like wow the cricket right. sing in four part harmony that's so cool I always knew it <laughs> you know right but in actuality it's this guy manufactures four part harmony out of cricket sounds yeah and that's cool well, the most egregious part of it is that you know if you pay close attention to it you can also hear what actually sounds like a human voice sort of singing along right. with those harmonies and that is as it turns out an actual human it's the, voice the queen of all the crickets yeah, it, it, it as it turns out, it's an opera singer who was hired by. Uh, it's I don't know if it is Robbie Robertson of the band, but it's somebody who's associated with him. Uh, was paid to record this and put it on this track. So, so what people see when they see this article is, you know, nature's so beautiful, and even in this ugly world, there's this beautiful crickets have this very beautiful sound. That's in a just world so, taken over with ugliness, one yeah, exactly. cricket will sing in four part <laughs> harmony. <laughs> now that would be a feat i would love to see one cricket sing in four part harmony uh exactly right and then when people listen to it they're like oh that's great and then they start telling all their friends everybody gets to feel good about the world they live in and about sharing stuff with their friends and it's all bullshit it's all it's lies you know it's not even a slight misrepresentation yeah you know so it's I'll, all I'll, bullshit. I'll take this a step further then because in that case that, that that's more or less just a misunderstanding i think i think right. that's just sloppy but there is that right. there's that um that note where it's like uh dad's note to gay son like tells him the true meaning of of uh, family or whatever where he says uh, let me let me see if i can pull it up i think it's the grandfather that. writes it to uh his his own children or something yeah, like that uh, about them disowning their gay son yeah i overheard your phone conversation with mike last night about your plans to come out and the only thing i have to say is blah 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 like i've loved you i've known you for all your life whatever like and, right. you know so 
Um, and everybody's like, yeah, that's so cool. What a great dad or grandpa or whatever. Whatever it is, yeah. And um, I think that it was just it was fake, right? It was just somebody who wanted to like um, sell 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 their t-shirts that, or something yeah i bet it was i mean i don't know a lot of specifics about that i, one, I remember but... actually so it's it's F, fcka hate h8 so kind of like fuck oh. hate and they they're the ones who who found this thing and shared it with everybody and you know threw it through upworthy and huffington post and all of that right and they had their little um, logo slapped on it so then people were like oh what's that all about and it says you know uh gay and straight t-shirts against hate so they sold their t-shirts um so right. you, you could argue that in this case you know, well, it's not fake. It's emotionally true. You know, um, buy our shirts. Um, sure. And they're using their shirts to fight against hate and stuff. So um, I think people, you know, rationalize trying to uh, engineer these kinds of stories and manipulate people's emotions. Um, and, you know, other things that come to mind include the. Um, so I guess actually the step forward from this is that waitress in New Jersey or whatever. Yeah. Um, where. She uh, posted a picture of her receipt, which is a, a meme that we've talked about, receipt posting. Yeah, so tipping. she was like a, an ex-Marine uh, like marine or something, uh, and she was trying to make ends meet by working in a bar or restaurant, and she was a lesbian. And uh, yeah, she posted a picture of this receipt that was she said was left at one of her tables. And, and said, uh, I don't agree with your lifestyle, zero dollars. Or whatever. Exactly. Right. You live in sin. You get no tip or whatever. And everybody's like, oh, that sucks. Like, I want to give you tips. Right. You know? And so she opened a donation account on a page and started taking tips. And I think in the end, a lot of those donations end up going to what are good organizations. And we'll talk more about sort of, quote unquote, emotional truth and, quote unquote, you know, a positive uh, uh, outcome from these kind of lies. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. But uh, as a result of this story going viral, this couple came forward and said, that was our receipt. And here's our copy. And as you'll notice, we left a very normal, maybe maybe a little substantial tip. Here's our credit card receipt. You can see we actually did get charged for that tip. So it's very strange that that receipt became the one that, you know, it, because this couple definitely left a tip. And so, that you know, one theory is that this, this waitress uh, took the other receipt and the whatever the... the uh, the blank customer copy that they might have left there and wrote all that stuff on it. So it that all could be bullshit. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say it is bullshit because I don't yeah, like to jump to conclusions. It's but questionable, it looks, though. Yeah, it looks so fishy. Yeah, it's questionable. So, yeah, you know, that's... But, and so, you know, that being sort of the quintessential example of taking sort of an emotionally true story and uh, trying to get some positive outcome out of it, uh, this brings us to that article that you sent to me earlier in the week, which I thought was an amazing article. It was good. And we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but, you know, basically, I, and you, sh you should probably talk more about, you know, where it's from and who wrote it, because I don't remember any of that stuff. I mean, I don't know who wrote it. I just read the thing, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, to describe it, it's, you know, it's, uh, has, it's black and white. It's got words in it. It appears in my computer screen. Um <laughs> We're professionals. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> so basically, I mean, it's... Yeah, you uh, talk it, about it, and then I'll find the information about it. It's an it. essay, and it starts off with... Uh, and it talks about The Wire, and so, you know, that already just sort of narrows it down to a very specific population of people who understand The Wire. But right. in, in, in The Wire, eventually, there's this guy who's kind of the... Uh, I think he's probably the most consistent protagonist of the whole show, but he's also right. like very deeply flawed and does bad stuff and like I think cheats on his wife and you know gets drunk and drives around and stuff like that. So he's kind of like the uh, is it id? I mean I don't remember all of those things. Uh, he, he's 
I don't, whatever. I, sh- I shouldn't have said that, but you know, so he's well, he, he represents. He does, he's something. like an alcoholic, and he you know he tr- he cheats on his wife, and he just like goes crazy. Uh, but he also is very dedicated to his police work and trying to like make a difference. He's right. a very very typical sort of uh, flawed uh, hero, sort of anti-hero kind yeah. of. Well, and so yeah. anyway, so eventually he gets around to. Uh, there's a reporter who um, makes up a story about a serial killer, and then he starts like you know, calling the reporter saying that he was the serial killer or something like that. I don't remember. But so he basically takes this uh, this um, fabrication and, and breathes life into it. And then so whereas the people of Baltimore were, you know, fairly indifferent to sort of people being normally typically gunned down in the streets and horrible acts of violence. In this case, it really captivated the imagination of the public. And therefore, you know, the politicians who run the police department, they want to find the serial killer that's, you know, doing whatever. And so they start throwing all kinds of money at the police department. And right. And he rationalizes saying like, well, yeah, I am like constructing this huge lie. But, you right. know, n- now I can do the crime fighting that I've always wanted to right. do because people in his care mind. Enough. Right. In his mind, the serial killer is a real person. It is this gun violence that's haunting the city. And he's going to try and stop the gun violence by selling it as a very sexy version, which is, here's the name of this serial killer. Yeah, and the serial killer even is a real person. I mean, so, I mean, not in the sense of what right. people think it is, but there's this guy who's killing a lot of people that he's right. trying to stop, but he's just killing other bad guys or, you know, drug, drug, drug users people. and stuff. And right. People, people, people don't care about. Right. And so... Over at the New Inquiry, uh, a man named Aaron Beatty uh, found this to to parallel a lot of what is happening with this kind of like bullshit storytelling that's going on on the internet in this article that, like I said, we'll link to in the show notes. Um, because that's exactly what's happening here is people are dressing up these sort of uh, pervasive mundane problems like you know, horrible people refusing to leave tips because of what they think is a sinful lifestyle, that does happen. Uh, and this is just one version of it that didn't happen that was used as that this this woman obviously believed. And it does have an emotional truth to it. And it does represent a real thing that happens. But in this case, it was bullshit. And whether or not that is problematic is very complicated. Yeah, well, he was talking about <laughs> that guy, and this is like ancient history in the internet, happened about Mike a year Daisy. ago. Right, yeah. The, so he was an essayist kind of guy or something, and he had a, a story that he told about how um, I went to, or he, he went to China and like found all of the terrible things that were happening in electronics manufacturing right. China, like in, you know, eight hours or whatever. And right, people and were like, wow, what a first great person. Story. Yeah, had these interviews, first-person interviews with people that had like had their fingers sawn off by the machines that they work on, and right. uh, it was um, it was a This American Life segment, and so it had a huge audience and sort of implicated This American Life's ability to do fact finding. But yeah, yeah, people absolutely loved it and said it was just so great and revealed so much truth about but, what but was going was, on. You know, it was fake. He yeah, didn't was, actually, he did go there, but he made up a lot of the stuff that he observed. And what he said was like, you said, well, you know, I'm, I'm shining light on an important problem. But, you know, there's this kind of like, uh, when you start constructing sort of, you know, even if you're trying to fight a problem, when you start constructing these sort of narratives that, you know, white people in America with internet access care about, you know, you're sort of like taking away the agency of the people who are actually experiencing the problems. And you're saying, you know, I'm the hero, like, it, it, this only matters if I can solve the problem, um, right? And it's very, it's very condescending. And he further, this, he, well, he, I just want to say, use this great phrase in America. You know, we're a nation filled with hammers. We want to make every problem into a nail, right? 
Yeah, but in, in furthermore, phrase. it raises a sort of second set of issues where, in this case, this Mike Daisy guy was making money off of his story, you know? Right. And then, so th- this kind of segues in. Did you see the Killer Martinis thing? Yeah, it's, after you sent it to me, I checked it out, and it is it is weird. It is complicated. Yeah, well, so, so in that case, basically, it was a uh, woman who apparently comments in a lot of Gawker articles, wrote an essay about, you know, how, all the, the horrible poverty that she goes through and how she has roaches just kind of attacking her when she's trying to cook, and that's why she can't cook, and, you know, she just describes, you know, very... Right. Um, her and, life and, is in shambles. She has to, She spends only, like, four hours sleeping because right. she works two full but jobs. Most, most and, importantly, though, she's a, a white woman who... Ex- explains it in the grammar of internet users and the people <laughs> in the internet culture. And so suddenly, uh, people are like, we should help her. And then they started making, giving her money. And she's like, oh, wow, I'm making all this money. Like, I guess and I'll she's have to raise my these, limit. Yeah, and she's getting all these interviews with people that are like, it's just so rare to see someone so poor that's also so eloquent. Right. You know, the most disgusting thing you can say, in my opinion, uh, is, is, you know, you're just so much more eloquent than all these other poor people, these black people, these Hispanic people. For some reason, we see a white person talking like a white person, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, she's so much more intelligent than all these other people. Yeah. Oh, it's the, really gross. These are the poor people I always knew were out there. Like, yeah, it's gross, know. man. Yeah. And yeah, and so... Uh, as you hinted at when you were telling that story, a lot of a lot of this ended up being kind of bullshit or questionable. That, well, right, yeah. questionable we is, is more accurate because on the one right, so things came out about her past that indicated that she comes from a very privileged, very wealthy background. Um, not wealthy, but privileged certainly, and has had a lot of opportunities where she has used this privilege to try and make her life better. But her life has not gotten better, and so your, her whole point was, you know, I don't make bad decisions and therefore I am poor. You know, I am poor and that leads to having to make some very tough decisions. Things like she's a smoker and she talks about smoking is the only thing that gets her energy up for her two full-time jobs or whatever. Things like that. Um, But like you start to, that narrative has some problems when after people started fact-checking a story that already finished being a story, it was already a huge story and then people started fact-checking it and realized, well, she actually maybe did have a whole bunch of money and then she started making bad decisions and got herself into this scenario, you know. So it, it's very unclear and I'm not here to disparage anybody's character, uh, but the upshot of it is that she also did start making a lot of money uh, off of her her quote-unquote poorness and her position. And, of, and so you know. what the way that she may defend herself, and uh, for all I know that she has done this or maybe she wouldn't want to acknowledge any sort of... Um I'm not sure to what extent she's acknowledged, you know, her story being an embellishment, but because, you know, she said things like, oh, well, I didn't say these things were happening now or something like right. that, you know. Um, she, so she's, if she is sort of taking some license with the truth here, she could say, well, sh- I'm just trying to shine a light on this problem, you know, or whatever. But she certainly, you know, she's not writing about somebody else's poverty and, you right. know, she's not talking about this is such an issue. Like we need to help, you know, this other person like, you know, no, she's um, talking about herself and people are directing their sort of charitable right you know, like... Their uh, contributions towards must, her. Where's right. my wallet? Like, I've got to donate. Like, <laughs> right. you know, This like, very second, I need to give 20 bucks to this specific right. person. And then they walk... Yeah. Wa- and if, if, if the TV's on, they walk by it. They'll, like, sit down and watch that instead, you know, and get distracted. <laughs> but for the moment that, you know, uh, that they want to make this donation, that, that, and that's the kind of action that she's spurring. And if yeah. she were talking about someone else, you know, chances are people would be less likely to make those donations, too, which is weird. Right. But... Yeah. No, I think that's true. I and it is weird. Uh well, I, weird is not the right word because it kind of makes some sense, which is, you know, and I 
I will link to this at the bottom of our notes also, but Radiolab did this great segment about when a suffering feels personal to us, we're very willing to give money and help as much as we can, but when a suffering feels global or like it's removed, each step of removal makes it even less likely that we're going to actually do something that inconveniences us to help the problem. Yeah. And that's that's the bottom line of all of this, the, the bullshit stories, is that they're a way of trying to make very global, real problems very personal. And that's a laudable goal. But giving money to the personal piece of this giant problem doesn't fix the giant problem. And it's maybe a step along the way to reforming the system so that people don't have to work two different jobs, you know, and have roaches all over their kitchen. And so that people don't have to, you know, have these horrible things that you see all over Upworthy that Upworthy's fighting against. Those things will not have to happen anymore after we fix these problems. But, uh, and after the awareness is raised enough, but um, we're really using something that's, uh, I wouldn't say broken in our brain, but something sort of primitive and something that's maybe unhelpful in a modern connected era is being exploited to to get money to these specific people and specific causes. And that's something we need to get past as a society, as a human society, not just as an American society. We need to start conceiving of these problems as global, not personal. And these, these bullshit upworthy stories are just insulating uh, all these problems to personal problems more and more and sort of not helping that goal at all yeah well speaking of exploiting things and manipulating people and uh you know bad stuff uh we've got another (laughs) thing uh to talk about pretty soon here we're going to segue into that right now go hey there listeners If you like what you hear on this podcast, check us out at enchantmentunderthesea.org. Yeah, we talk about the internet here on our podcast, but on enchantmentunderthesea.org, we like to uh, write about stuff like movies, books, music. So come join us over there, enchantmentunderthesea.org. Thanks. You're welcome. And we're back! And we're going to be talking about... uh, Another topic that's kind of related to the one we just talked about, as Andrew Tobias indicated <laughs> in his his halting segue. Yeah, you'll you'll um, figure it out. You'll it'll become real clear. The, the segue will be um what will be revealed over time. It'll be glorious. Which isn't how segues are supposed to work, but you know, just <laughs> this one's um you know we like we like to do things unconventional. We're innovators. That's what we are. Yeah. So the the next thing we're talking about this episode is uh, these this new phenomenon of people uh, live tweeting other people's personal events or or human dramas uh, or even political scandals uh, and you know we'll we'll give examples of all of those but the general gist is now that Twitter is a thing where you can share with huge audiences uh, little bits uh, as as over time. There were people that would live tweet TV shows and say, I can't believe so-and-so is wearing that, or I can't believe such-and-such broke up with so-and-so. Yeah, I can't believe Walter White woke up and it's all a dream. Hey, spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> Hy- hypothetically, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe Simon Cowell said Walter White's meth was horrible. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so... Uh, um, so this this phenomenon of live tweeting went from being something you do at movie theaters or television shows uh, to something that you do when someone's having an embarrassing conversation next to you and they don't think anyone's listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so people started live tweeting, uh, for instance, a, a rooftop breakup. And I think in the chronology, that ends up being the first one too, right? No, but I think it's the quintessential oh. example though. So okay, we'll, just well start with what it. was... Th- 
Okay, fine. So the the no, we'll start with it. Seriously, just go. All go right, sounds good. So the rooftop breakup. There was this guy who was on a rooftop in Brooklyn. He says in his Twitter feed, when a couple comes upstairs to the rooftop and they start having a fight. And so his his story is the couple is fighting and um, saying very typical coupley things. You know, like I don't even like your friends. You know, I don't I don't want to get hung up on labels in this relationship. You never uh, listen to me. Why can't you just listen to me? Yeah, very normal things that I have said and have said to me. Yeah, uh, dear God, yeah, yeah. we've all said them. Yeah, uh, and he was tweeting them and sharing them with all of his followers on Twitter. Obviously, the couple doesn't know this is happening. At some point, he says that a member of this couple said, there's a guy over there listening to us. And then the other member of the couple says, no, he's not listening to us, which you know I, I thought was the most interesting thing that happened uh, in the whole thing. But mostly, it's, it doesn't seem that interesting. But the internet thought it was super interesting uh, that this human drama uh, unfolded over Twitter with this third party just recording a conversation between two individuals. And so uh, there were obviously BuzzFeed aggregated all the tweets about this breakup together and news stories started aggregating all the tweets together. And you could read the story of this breakup from Twitter all over the Internet and went super viral. Yeah. And it's, I think I think it's important to make a distinction that, um, you know, beyond just being people finding it interesting, because you could say, like, this is this really relatable experience. And I, I, know, I know what that's like or whatever. But no, people people were uh, the um, the way that the guy was tweeting this was very snarky. And so people right. were actually like, that's hilarious. What a, what a couple of idiots, you know, um, they're, they're laughing at them. Right, definitely. That's, that's an important detail, yeah, is that, is that the tone of the whole Twitter feed and the tone of the whole conversation is, you know, these two idiots break up on a roof when it sucks because I sound like an idiot during those kind of fights, you know? And <laughs> I think anybody sounds like that kind of idiot during those kind of fights. Um, and yet everybody was kind of for a moment pretending I would never be that. I would never say something like, I really want to go get pizza with my friends. Can't we just talk about this later? I've probably have said that exact thing. And everybody's kind of pretending that's, oh, so stupid and so horrible, you know? So there was a very sort of negative, um, negative uh, response to the, the couple and as a result of a positive response to this guy making fun of the couple on Twitter. Yeah, so moving on to the next example, uh, that actually uh, put this guy on his toes and made him, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know if he, saying he was forced to defend himself is probably wrong because I'm guessing he was paid to write it, so he may have actually offered to defend himself, but <laughs> regardless, you know, he had some kind of reason to defend himself. Um, he, he may have said, hey, HuffPo, uh, <laughs> if you give me 20 bucks, I'll defend myself. Right. <laughs> but, um, so there's this guy, and uh, how, do, how, how do we pronounce his name? It's Elon Gale? Elon? Uh, probably I mean, Elon, Elon is a Gale. thing. I think Elon is like a, uh, that means something, I don't know, whatever. So it's uh, It's a Hebrew name. It's a very common Hebrew name. Yeah. Well, it's it also is an adjective, but whatever. Uh, I know. Maybe it's a noun. Well, it's, so, a, it's a noun, but yeah. it, but it, it he his parents probably did not think what's the word for that thing where someone's really classy. Mm. Uh, they probably thought what's that name that my grandfather was or a bunch of kids in Israel are named. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so th- this guy, as, as it turns out, he's a. <laughs> Incidentally, he's a producer for The Bachelor, with I, which I, when I first saw that, I said, "Huh, that's kind of weird." You yeah. Know, but the story goes that it was actually, I think it was the day after Thanksgiving, or actually Thanksgiving itself, that this blew up. But this guy was right. sitting on a plane, and uh, there was a woman who was really upset because they were running later, you know, airplane stuff, and so she started <laughs> because like, airplane stuff, right? And 
oh, I've, I've, I've got family. I've got to get Thanksgiving. Like, don't you have a heart? And, you know, and everybody else is like, oh, why won't this lady shut up? And so the guy served as sort of like the, uh, in this narrative, uh, the uh, sort of relatable experience of being on an air, stuck on an airplane with somebody who's annoying. Right. And so the he voice just, of the public in this right. interaction. And so he purportedly, you know, live tweeted this thing and eventually, you know, passed her a note that said, you know, eat my dick. Um, well, okay. First he passed her a note that said, uh, skip to the good part, man. Sorry. Uh, first he passed her a note <laughs> that said, uh, we all have families. You know, you're inconsiderate for doing this, et cetera, et cetera. It was actually pretty normal and straightforward with just a little bit of snark. And so he said that she wrote back a note that said, you're a horrible person, you know, and you have no sympathy for other human beings. And that's when he wrote a note that said, I invite you to eat my dick. Uh, and she wrote back, I'm going to call the authorities when we land the plane. And then he re- reportedly wrote back to her, they should arrest you for being a cannibal because you just ate my dick. So, you know, I thought... He also said he sent her, like, alcohol bottles and told her you should drink these so it'll shut you up or whatever. Right. Anyway, so that's that That was the content of this whole thing. Yeah. And, and the reaction, you know, you know, people cheered her on, like, and, it, you know, it's kind of probably being motivated out of a little bit of a place. It's like, oh, I, I wish I had the nerve to, you know, tell off annoying people or whatever. Right. And then, you know, also um, uh, this guy's a writer, producer, dude. So, you know, he's funny, so people are just laughing at his jokes. But right. the well, whole thing it, was... And it was painted as, you know, this guy won Thanksgiving by finally being the hero who stood up to these horrible travelers who all of us see every day. Right. He was painted as being finally the person who could stand up, you know, and say something. And this is a meme that's happened before where, do you remember yeah. the guy again? Jet blue guy. Dipping back yeah. into ancient internet history of 2012 yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy who bounced down the inflatable, uh, you know, staircase yeah. that comes out we of the emergency a... door. We did a whole podcast about uh, internet folk heroes, right? Uh, so yeah. th- this is another that th- this is another instance of people being like, "This guy's our new internet folk hero," yeah, because he finally but, stood up to this horrible woman. But then there's also an element in this case because of the live tweeting where you know he's sort of exploiting her horribleness by uh, making fun of her publicly, right? Like, right? And everybody else is joining in, right? And as it turns out, uh, this Diane from this flight was not a real person. And after everybody had vaunted this guy for being a hero, which, by the way, it's problematic enough that uh, he's called a hero for telling a a woman to eat his dick in a hostile manner, that he's threatening sexual violence against a woman on a plane and is therefore called a hero. That's problematic enough. But it gets even more problematic when you realize he made up this woman. So even in his, like, most heroic fantasy version of reality, he's this horrible person. Anyway, so yeah, it it was all fake, and he had made up the whole thing, and he didn't do it for any specific reason. If you look at the tweets that he posted, he was like, "Yeah, haha, I got you all." You know what I mean? Like, right. he this was he was probably might, just bored, you know, yeah. and, and trying to get attention. Exactly. You might call it performance art if you were being very liberal with those terms, and technically it is performance art. Um, but he wasn't even doing it for you know artistic motivations. He was doing it because he wanted to. St- you know, screw everybody. He wanted to fool everybody. Uh, you know, so anyway. And pick up a, you know, couple hundred thousand Twitter followers or whatever, exactly. I'm sure. And most of those people won't unfollow him, even though this ended up being fake. So <laughs> he just got a huge boost to his internet persona for, for lying to everybody on the internet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that's... Uh, 
uh, th- those are both examples of you know private moments being live tweeted and and the fallout that results from them. But I think there's another really good example that you had, Tobias, right. that is uh, uh, a little more I don't know serious, uh, a little more. Uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely serious. It's more serious. I think the, sort of the, the stakes are sort of higher. With right, the, kind the stakes of thing are certainly higher. In, instead yes. of just sort of being this you know relatable experience, is it is it ethos that we're talking about? Is it pathos? I, you know, I tried with the id and the super ego before yeah, and I just totally flubbed it so but it's pathos, pathos. The, the, the other stories are probably more pathos this one's probably more ethos um so let's let's hear it what is the story yeah so there's this guy uh michael hayden he used to be the director of the nsa and the cia and he got canned by obama i think if i remember correctly um but you know so he, he's he you know he's uh, the operative term is that he's a former uh, director of these things and so uh the way you know being a journalist and particularly um being a journalist in Washington, D.C., and then furthermore, being a journalist in Washington, D.C., who covers kind of national security, you know, espionage kind of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, people talk on on background and off the record and all of that stuff. And there's a whole conversation to be had about how that can be, you know, instead of journalism and the press being this independent watchdog against the government, it's like, oh, like, how can I tell you these things? Or how can I tell other people these things that you're telling me? Like, please, like, you set the rules, you know, let me be your mouthpiece. I'd love that, you know, because... Um, uh, it lets them have the story or whatever, but at the same time, they're you know they're they're sacrificing their independence. So yeah, there's that right. whole thing. So in this case, this Michael Hayden guy was sitting on a train, I think, you know, or maybe wait at a I bus. Was a, you know, I thought it was like a commuter that. train of some kind, but yeah, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. So they're he's in public transportation, this enclosed space, and he's you know talking to uh, obviously talking to reporters on the phone, saying like you know um, things such as uh, <laughs> here we go. I, I found one Hayden. You know, so just. Jumping forward, this guy who was on the train, and I think he was like a political activist or something like that, so he recognized what this was. Uh, right. Started tweeting well, he, this first guy's he conversation. Recognized, right uh, in the in the timeline, he recognized this is this guy. Like, he's hey, like, he's oh, on the God. train with me. How cool! Exactly. How, you know what? A, what? A, what? A evil guy or whatever. You know. Just... Right. It's so interesting that he's on public transit, or I just ran into this celebrity on the street. Right. right. It's <laughs> just a very normal, you know. And then it 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 became him noticing that this guy was talking about some. Uh, strange, maybe sensitive stuff. Yeah, like for instance, in so it, it, it went into <laughs> Hayden was bragging about rendition in black sites a minute ago, which uh, it was the position of of the government for a long time that those things didn't exist. So, right. you know, right. uh, he was just this is, this is a big get for a for a political activist, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it's it's an open secret, you know. But right, yeah. it, it's it's you know very funny, and <laughs> and eventually he actually took a picture with the guy at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, t- and tweeted win so I, you know it's important that we win and you know that we win you oh know, in my this God. case this guy won the train or whatever you know yeah so well and that's the thing is if i were Hay- hayden right the political guy i'm not i'm not here as the political expert i'm, I'm here as the nerd expert yeah hayden's a political uh, guy he's okay he's, again he's the cia like guy who was overseeing right, right, right. you know inherent enhanced i thought it was the nsa and waterboarding but... and you know, he's in the cia too is both Okay. Anyway, yeah. So Hayden, uh, that's if I were in Hayden's position, even you know, even when I'm just like on the train, you've got to have some sort of alert set up where you search your own name on Twitter because he had to have been like trending at that point right. when this guy walked up to him and was like, "Hey, can I take a picture with you?" You know, he he uh, only a very like non-internet savvy person could go hours uh, of being tweeted about very publicly without knowing about it. Yeah, it's so very. It, 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 in this case, you know, you can make the argument that, you know, uh, especially with people with a lot of power, that the idea that no matter where they are, that not, not only could, 
you know, other governments or whatever, I don't know, like the, the other side, whatever, whoever that might be, might be looking at you and, and holding, you know, and, and holding you accountable or whatever, yeah. but it, it could just be normal people and not, you know, not within the context of like the spy versus spy stuff or like the Republicans right. versus Democrats, but sort of like in the people versus the power, you know, there's, yeah, there's this idea that when you get into a position like that, you're giving something up, you know, it's, we just had our, our ethics training at work and I work for the, the state government, state of Ohio as a public defender. And in our ethics training, you know, one thing we're told as state employees is you, you can't just live your life any way that you want to, because you're partially living your life in public. You're making your salary at the behest of all the taxpayers in Ohio, which means that if one of the people who wants to do a contract with our office or something says, I've got these opera tickets, you have to say no as a state employee. You know, you have to. Uh, You just can't enjoy the kind of life you would have enjoyed otherwise. And so I think what Hayden gives up in being in this kind of situation is he's living his life in public to a certain extent. And he has to be thinking about that when he's just talking loudly on a commuter train. You know, this was a huge lapse in judgment on his part and a huge misunderstanding of how technology works. Well, so let let me bring up another example. Um, So we talked about this a while ago, you know, people... People live tweeting during the Boston Marathon bombing. And, you know, I think people were tweeting pictures of legs or whatever, you know, stuff like that. Not just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. But then people were also documenting it. And so similarly, you know, you could say that all of the things we've talked about today are people just, you know, uh, enjoying or experiencing is a better way to put it. Experiencing these sort of human events in sort of a communal way. Um, So so what's what's different about doing that? You know, what's different about tweeting about the Boston Marathon, what's different about tweeting about the NSA guy, what's different about tweeting about the breakup, you know, what's different about tweeting about something that's not even real, you know, um, what, what separates all these things and makes some things seem more okay and some things seem less okay? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it has a lot to do with thinking about the motivation behind the tweet itself, right? Um, that's, I think, step one. Uh, so for instance, you know, I know that this, this guy was tweeting about Hayden. He was thinking of it as sort of winning. Um, but in the end, it's sort of about exposing, uh, lies and corruption by a government. And, uh, when you, when you say like, it's so sad that the Boston marathon thing happened, you're sort of tweeting to make your feelings known and get sympathy from a crowd. But when you tweet a picture of a leg, like a severed leg, ugh, gross. Yeah. Um, you know, then then you, that person obviously just wants that that photo to be shared, and maybe they're responding to a horror, and that's step one is is deciding why the person tweets the thing. But yeah, I think in the end it comes down to sort of, you know, what are socially acceptable kinds of things to share in public. I don't know. What do you think? So I think that you know, um, I think the thing that you said about being the the motivation behind it, you know, is what separates these things pretty strongly. So in the instance of the guy who's tweeting the breakup, it's not just like, "Wow, what a poignant moment," but it's like, "Wow, look at these guys," and like, all, and typing in all caps and being sort of flippant about the whole sure. thing, you know? Um, yeah. So I, you know, I think your motivation is important. I think the tone in which you you, you talk about is important. I think it's just important to sort of have. Um, you know, especially when everything that we do is public in the way that it is. And, yeah. you know, and that's a good thing. I think we, we like that for the most part. Um, you know, right. prob- you know, you and I have different opinions about it probably somewhat, but, um, but I think it's important. In that sort of- you think it's a good thing and I think it's a great thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, right. But so there's, there's just some nuances, but, yeah, no, uh, you know, but I, I think it's important that we kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, 
Right. So in, in the instance Be of... Be mindful of that. Am, am I sure. observing this or am I exploiting it? You know, am I sharing this or am I making fun of it? You know, am, am I, do I have empathy of what I'm doing or, you know, do I have um, right. a, 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 antipathy? Right. Is that the word? You know, I keep that, I, I keep talking over my head. That's that's the problem. You, well, with, you, you know. You're choosing these sort of uh, these duo phrases that have like two and it's hard to figure out which one you're trying to which one is which <laughs> uh but no you're abs- i think you're absolutely right about that but i i think and maybe this is something we'll talk about in a future episode and it's something we have hinted at before which is um the impetus to be you know empathetic and share something uh that that is sort of like the the uh, rider, right? That is like the person controlling this whole thing. But the saddle and the vehicle is this desire to I don't know get fame or feel important for having shared a thing, you know. So even this is that that this brings it back to that upworthy thing is you know even those people are trying to share these positive stories for empathy reasons. That that's just the driver. The car itself is this desire for for fame or recognition or you know to get your name heard by a bunch of people or to get attention and that's the sort of shadowy part that we don't acknowledge the real thing that we acknowledge is that driver that says i have to get this story out and this is important so yeah the distinction between those two motivations and how they interact with each other and how to sort of uh, uh discover those hidden motivations the ones that are harder to see that's something we should probably talk about again sometime all right and then so really interesting and a- another question about this whole thing is what about so we're talking about the composers of these tweets and you know what are they thinking and what are they hoping to get out of it so what, what does this say about the horde you know the the internet the legion or whatever um uh, yeah and and furthermore you know you and i are, can both be part of that thing too you know what about the recipients of these messages like sure um which what, what kinds of things should we keep in mind when we're watching this kind of stuff uh just be very skeptical <laughs> i think it's important to uh the way that i always when someone sends me something the way that i always treat it is as if it is fiction and if it were fiction would it still be interesting to me uh and you know i'm not saying everyone should treat everything that way but if you get a story like this fight on an airplane and you pretend it's fiction that someone just wrote it and made it up you realize how uninteresting it is you know and this rooftop breakup, if you pretend that's fiction too, you realize it's incredibly uninteresting. And once you realize that all these quote-unquote true, inspiring, or interesting stories, you know, that, that we actually shouldn't really find them that interesting, then, you know, maybe we can all calm down and realize, you know, the real interesting stories are the ones that have a little more nuance and, you know, have, have something actually interesting happening, as opposed to them being interesting because they're true, or because they're exploiting somebody, or because they're taking taking advantage of somebody's, you know, expectations of privacy. Yeah, well, I think this whole thing, to some extent, when you sort of, when you go into more of the horde view of, you know, the, the internet, um, it reveals, you know, in the instance of the upworthy stuff, you know, for the most part, you know, if I, if I see the essay about poverty, and while it may show that, um, you know, it, it, it kind of has, um, a, a better example, actually, is probably the crickets thing, right? Like, where... Mm-hmm. Where you know, okay, well, th- this is kind of lazy, uh, but my my intentions for enjoying this are good. Or even you know, I'm ending ra- the person's ending racism. Like I want to end racism. How good, right? But I think that the some of these live tweeting things, you know, um, I think it reveals something very dark um, about people, which is you know the the, the sort of uh, tendency that we have to. Uh, when we're in a group to sort of depersonalize the, the the experiences that people are going through and to sort of feel like laughing at them. And it, it reminds me of, you know, like a kid being bullied in school or right. um, 
I don't know, like reality television, <laughs> like all of it. <laughs> um, right. That's that's the only reason that I'm hesitant to get on board with your your uh, theory that live tweeting reveals something dark, right? Because reality television reveals the same dark thing and kind of in a worse way. So, uh, you know, I'm this is... Uh, the people that think that reading this live tweet is different than reality television are deluding themselves. But otherwise, I think everybody's on the same page, which is, you know, this guy who gets in a fight on an airplane and starts telling a woman to eat his dick, you know, is just actually a ba- like that kind of thing would happen on reality television. It would be a normal episode, not even the worst thing that happens in that episode. Mm-hmm. So... And that's reality television's older than Twitter. This is just a new medium for the old stories. Yeah, of, and I guess in this, know. at least in the instance of Twitter, at least the people who are being, you know, talked about have the ability to be aware of it, right? Is, is the, that better? No, uh, no, not really, <laughs> not really. I mean, you know, I think it's, I think it's deluding yourself to pretend that a couple having a breakup on a rooftop have the ability to be aware of of their their fight being live tweeted um and maybe even more importantly the fictional woman diane certainly has no ability to be aware of it right so you know it's um to the extent that reality television is scripted this fight with diane was actually scripted in that it was totally fake Mm -hmm. so you know there's not i don't i don't see any and obviously the rooftop breakup when somebody said something like listen i have this history in my life of having this specific psychological problem and you haven't nurtured my ability to fix that problem you know the real fight the the quality of the fight the part where they actually get with the issues of what's actually harming their relationship that's not on twitter they edit that that out just like a reality television show edits out anything real and cuts it down to the gross parts so the you know the idea that they could one of these people could come forward and say this fight was actually about how my mother died and he was not sympathetic you know that that could be true um but you know Anyway, I don't think there's any we there's no assigning virtue to the the Twitter version of this over the reality TV version of this, and I don't think we're going to stop the negative effects of either one until we start addressing those problems on a yeah. larger scale. Yeah, just, just throwing so, it out there. No, I'm I get it, I get it. There's the instinct is because it's like sort of quote unquote truthful and open access, you know, and and uh, and democratic in the way that only the internet can be. It seems like it should be better, but like then we have the fake ones and the openness of the internet is not helping those fake ones so obviously whatever openness and democracy we're counting on to stop these stories from being total exploitation isn't working because even the fake fictional ones are total exploitation Mm -hmm. so i don't know all right well hey that's uh, that was a good conversation but we've got some more great stuff coming up right after this we're going to share our links of the week and a brief update on something we talked about last week oh i can't wait Would you like to hear your project talked about on our podcast? Well, we're looking for quote-unquote advertisers. Yeah, we'll stick it right here in this spot, whereas uh, instead of us talking now, we'll uh, feature your thing. Send us an email at staff at enchantmentundersea.org. Let us know, and your your product or your project might get featured here. Unless it's Cialis or... Or a Nigerian banker who has money stashed away. In that case, uh, you can call me personally at <laughs> not getting to my cell phone. <laughs> yeah, dot com. <laughs> it's not even a phone number. And we're back. We're back. But we don't know what to do. Uh, Right now, yeah, we do. Uh, We're going to do an update on something that we talked about in our last episode. Uh, I mentioned in the last episode that 
Andrew Tobias and I had engaged in an experiment where we changed a Wikipedia article uh, and watched how long it would ch- take for it to get changed back. So the update is that was not Andrew Tobias. That was uh, another of my very good friends named Hoodie Kaiserman. And Hoodie and I uh, had found an article of an obs- obscure Scandinavian politician named Liv Sandvin. Mm. And we put in the Wikipedia article that her nickname was Liv, quote, and onions, unquote, Sandvin. Uh, <laughs> so that we would see how long it would take for people to notice, hey, Liv, Liv Sandvin's name is not Liv and Onions Sandvin. And it took a while. Uh, if you go back in the history of Wikipedia, you can see when we added it. And it did. It took some time, but... Um, how much time for, do you remember? Um, for some reason, I'm thinking it was like a couple weeks. Uh, but, but really, considering it was an obscure Scandinavian politician, a couple weeks to weed out some and uh, something like that is really not a crazy amount of time. Yeah, not you know. Bad. So anyway, it was Hoodie, and I apologize, Hoodie, for confusing you with Andrew Tobias. You're just both so, so similar um, in that one of you is Canadian. <laughs> yeah. I already don't like this guy, by the way. <laughs> uh, no, Hoodie's the best. And uh, so are you, Andrew. And on that theme of Andrew being the best, uh, he's also the best at finding links of the week to share on our podcast. Yeah. So uh, I thought about this while we were talking the last segment, and it's this the thing I have to share is a little exploitative, but I think it's okay. And, and first, I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll tell you why I think it's okay that I like it. You know. Which, furthermore, <laughs> I will further disclaim that uh, we don't claim to be above all this stuff. So. There it right. is. But anyway, yeah, there are kind of two voices that we speak with. The voice that says this is also fascinating and complicated and problematic, and the other voice that just goes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can have both voices. <laughs> so uh, the, my link of the week is uh, the dashboard cam of 25 year old Bexley Ohio resident Sally Kurgis did you hear about this Stephen or am I telling you about no it the first but time? I I Sally Kurgis is somebody I knew back when I was in school yeah so let's interesting you can certainly be careful about how you react to this but uh, okay <laughs> basically uh the, the the post that I've read is this is hands down the dumbest police chase I have ever seen and it <laughs> is the dashboard cam of Sally Kurgis uh I think it would assume it'd be Bexley police trying to uh pull her over and she proceeds to slowly drive into the driveway of a house and uh her stereo is on all the way up she's continuously honking her horn throughout i don't know the first two and a half minutes of the video and the a police officer tries to sort of gently get her out of the car and she backs up and then so she follows her, or he follows her she pulls forward she goes back and forth maybe you know eight to ten times i think she actually hits the police car a couple of times so uh, Jesus, uh, and and no, you know nobody got hurt, um, you know. Uh, but the sort of the sort of the, the 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 interesting wrinkle about this whole thing, besides the fact that it's it's you know pretty typical as far as these kinds of videos go, although it is entertaining in that in that in that right. Um, her father is a prominent defense attorney in Columbus. Yeah, he sure is with a bunch of uh, goofy commercials that everybody knows. And absolutely, he's you know Jeez. he's he's sort of like the ambulance chaser sort of mold of attorney. But he's the person who would be the first to call this person after this arrest to say this is how we're going to spin your case or whatever. Right. So wow, that is absolutely crazy. Yeah. So it's it, it was pretty popular on the internet, but it was very popular in Columbus. <laughs> so. I did not hear any of this. Yeah, you'll have to check it out. But, you know, the reason why I, I think it's okay, whatever it's worth, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. you have more sympathy uh, given your 
uh, your, you know, direct knowledge of, of the, the people involved and stuff like that. But in this case, I feel a little bit more okay because she's doing something that's, um, you know, uh, not, not, you know, it's, it's discouraged by society. Um, and, um, it's, uh, you know, so, and, and the fact that, uh, her dad's on TV, you know, puts a layer right. of irony on it. So <laughs> that, right. that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. You know? That's so interesting. So I, without hijacking your link of the week, I will say very little for two reasons. Number one, uh, uh, Kevin Curtis is kind of like a public person who is uh, well known around the city as as kind of a, a TV celebrity for local commercials and also as a lawyer uh, and also uh, Sally Curtis is someone that I knew uh, not very very well but met a couple times and uh, was at some functions with way back in the day. Man, yeah. that is a crazy story. And so mostly the reason why this is my link of the week week is that this is something that went viral that I actually have some sort of more of a direct connection to. And I thought it'd be interesting to bring it up. So, man, it's like that Travis Irvine thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So what do you got? um, Selfie is uh, a word in a dictionary now. And um, let's not let's not pretend like putting it in the dictionary somehow makes it actually a word because it was already a word and you don't need a dictionary to make it a word. But anyway, uh, my link of the week is what is suspected to be the first selfie ever taken uh in the history of photography uh and it was taken by uh a guy named robert cornelius in 1839 and so basically that like so technologically you, you can see the camera in this in this photo of him it's kind of scratched out. The camera is kind of scratched out, but you can see he's holding something in his hand and like in, in, on his chest, the way people take selfies nowadays. They hold their cell phone on their chest. He's got something he's holding like near his chest. Wow. And he's got like a really hipster haircut. It's just, it's one of my favorite things I think I've ever seen uh, because it's obviously like, I think it's a dogger type, like one of the early types of um, uh, photography that existed. Um but he's just like a really dashing looking guy and like a uh it's just such a striking the way he's obviously looking uh at something like slightly off probably from making the sure itself. the camera is not going to explode into a chemical fire or something i don't know i don't, right. I don't know how cameras work it seems like they'd be Which dangerous but could have happened exactly yeah i don't know i mean i think what he might be like holding in front of him could be like an apparatus with a mirror on it i don't really even know but um there's a lot of technical stuff that would be very interesting about diving into this photo but the thing that's so striking is just how uh, how his hair is like expertly mussed, like he's been using like Axe's bedhead product or mm-hmm. something. He's got this like high collared coat, you know. It's uh, he looks like a guy who would have taken a selfie yesterday, but it also looks like a photo that was taken in 1839 with all the discolorations and stuff right. like that. Yeah, so he's, it is he's just the proto hipster, then, as it were. It's so striking. It's a really crazy, just you see it and all the the different parts of your brain that it hits at once is just a really great experience. So cool. Yeah, that's that's my link of the week. All right. Well, um, I think it's that time of the show, boys and girls, yeah. where we. Um, I wish we had like Mr. Rogers music. Yeah. You're supposed to be talking, saying oh. good night to the boys and girls. Oh, okay. Um, good, good night to the boys and girls. Oh, all right. <laughs> You're supposed to be saying, I hope you've enjoyed your time here. I sure have. 
you know, you're my best friend oh. and you're unique and special. You said to say goodnight to the boys and girls, so I said it. Yeah, you did. You did a good job. Thanks. All right. Well, hey, that's anyway, all we got. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon. Bye. Hold On to Your Butts is a production of EnchantmentUnderTheSea.org. Your hosts were Stephen Goldmeyer and Andrew Tobias. Editing by Stephen Goldmeyer. <laughs>